Welcome to Rethink, the Financial Advisor Podcast. My name is Adam Holtz. And this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today. And be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Derek. Why is the financial services industry always slow to innovate? Adam, man, that is a question that brings up a lot of good and bad memories. (laughs) (laughs) You mean they're in the past, it doesn't happen, we're now good innovators? Uh, No, I think there's still some struggles. It's been an interesting journey, and I'm sure you have some similarities. Being an advisor at a large, old company, Mm -hmm. and then leaving and being a tech founder, what's the word I'm looking for? They're direct opposites. And I think one of the challenges of why it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks is that we have this environment where status quo is working Mm -hmm. and these big old ships don't turn on a dime. And we're talking about thousands, if not tens of thousands of employees and millions of customers. And you make one decision that can have a ripple effect for sure. So I can understand that there are some reasons why it's slow to innovate, but at the same time, it's really important that we do because the future is moving faster and faster and faster. And we have to be able to adopt and adapt and innovate along those lines. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but it, it, for whatever reason, we seem to be a lot slower than other industries too, which is, man, has that been a frustration on a number of levels? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I could go on and on, man. This is a good- You're going to really have to go on and on because this podcast is going to be at least 30 minutes about this topic and where this came from. If you remember in our last podcast, Bob from Idaho had asked about this. He was sharing his frustration around the speed of innovation in large firms where most of us have started. And still a great number of the financial advisors in our planet, let alone our country, are really part of larger organizations. And that tends to mean that innovation when it's slow in these larger companies has a trickle effect down to the consumer. So those individuals working with financial advisors tend to have a much slower innovation experience than those that actually go direct to the consumer tech environment. We'll even call them robo-advice that's popping up like mad because the newest technology companies going direct to consumer are actually innovating much faster because they don't have this old superstructure that tanker that you're talking about or ocean liner. They don't have that baggage. Exactly. And so as a result, because the large companies are slow to innovate, it creates this lag effect for all financial advisors to be bringing up the rear on innovation. And that parlays into speed of execution at the custodial level. It shows up in the time it takes to close life insurance business or insurances. It shows up in client portals that look woefully pathetic relative to the newest robo stuff coming out. And somehow the industry doesn't get the message that it's got to be more urgent. Why is that? I think there's a lot of fear. I think there's bureaucracy involved. I mean, we've experienced this. Mark Pfaff alluded to it in his 
previous episode with it, you know, mm-hmm. his view from, from the inside at home office. And it's, are the right people actually being charged and tasked with the innovation that needs to happen? Because we know some of these large institutions do have some people that are real go-getters or forward thinking. They have been empowered mm-hmm. by the highest levels of management to say, listen, here, go do it, get to work. You don't have to get permission to do almost anything. This is your MO, go get it done. Yeah. Um, so I think you have a lot of these different issues, but there's also, there's compliance to think about. How do you deploy a new solution to 10,000 advisors at once? Yeah. That's, that's, that's got its own challenges, right? And so if I'm listening to this episode today, I, I think there's almost like three people I hope we're talking to is one is an, as an advisor in the field wanting better tech. You know, I see my friends over on the independent side talking about, oh, I got this cool new tech or I'm doing that. And I'm frustrated mm-hmm. because I'm still doing paper applications or whatever. So we can give them some insight. We can give some fintechs looking to work with enterprises some insight. And hopefully mm-hmm. we can nudge some of the folks at the enterprise level to say, hey, maybe there's a faster, better way we can innovate internally to work with out, you know, you know exterior partners. Yeah, that, that's what I, mean, I would say. I think those would be the three. Those are great. All right. So that's great. So let's touch on those today. And I, you know, I thought of something while you were responding that m- might shed some light. And, and this is not to excuse our slowness, but you're right. Compliance, size of ship, fear of, of let's say, <laughs> I don't want to make the wrong decision, especially when you're running a larger company or you're in a decision uh, position, you're, you're making million dollar decisions every day. And oh, yeah. And sometimes that's that's not your money, right? It's shareholder money. You have high cost of being yep. wrong. There's been a, a tendency, as we have seen, both working for enterprises as well as selling to enterprises as a vendor, that the greater superstructure that has to be created in order to execute the daily operations of a large company with a lot to lose, right? Both in the media, if they put out the wrong thing, yep. it's not just jobs, it's shareholder value. If they have a real faux pas in the field and something breaks, uh, that's not, it's going to cost them millions of dollars. So I think you're right. Fear, or we'll call it lack of courage, is somewhat institutionalized because they've had to build all of these routes to execute a 10,000 employee, I think, right? Safety measures protocols, inspection, and that generally is just going to slow the whole thing down. So when a new tech comes out, it just, it bounces off the hull in a way, right? It's <laughs> that's like, a good, that's a good, boom, yeah. <laughs> as a protective mechanism, because the infrastructure is supporting so much dependency, the employees, depending upon this company being here tomorrow. And so I think you're right. Fear and we'll call it lack of courage is institutionalized. That's a great little mic drop moment, even. Uh, I would totally agree with you. That's a, that's how we forgive the enterprises that they're kind of, it's, it's the way we're built, right? Don't judge me. Because it is the I, way they're it's built. It's kind of like, it is. This is, is how I was born, you know? It, yeah. Like, but yeah, you know, but we, we can, as we even joke about in the title, we can teach old dogs, new tricks. Uh, I think so. it, it does work, but I think we have to have a better understanding. Uh, in context, do we uh, want to share any stories? Maybe sure. stories yeah, are always share. fun. Stories. Well, I, you know, even my own journey for asset map was an interesting one. I learned for those thinking about how do you get change in an, in an institution? There's, there's no question that we, we had to get advocates 
within the larger organization, the first, our first large enterprise. We needed to build advocacy. I thought about this before. There's really five influences you really need to have in a large enterprise in order to make change or to get them to want to change, right? Have you ever heard that joke? How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> it doesn't matter. The light bulb has to want to change, right? So in this case, <laughs> how, how many enterprise executives does it take to, to innovate? <laughs> the, the executives have to want to <laughs> innovate, okay? And so the only thing that we found is really going to motivate them is one of these five things or combination. One, either there's some kind of disruptive event or competitor innovation that's that's getting them worried about losing their job or their edge, right? There's something, there's a, again, another fear word, a reactionary thing that's totally. changing, right? With this chat yep. GPT thing, everybody's scrambling to figuring yep. out, right? You got to know there's, there are literally jobs that were just created or people re repositioned on their role to figure out what this is going to mean. No question. Okay? That's disruptive. Yep. Number, number two there's enormous influence in the industry consultants out there. You you know them all by name, right? The the big four and their satellites. They hold extraordinary amount of influence because those are ways you protect against losing your job. Oh yeah, it's a, it's totally a risk measure. Be like, well, we're going to hire this outside consultant who is an expert, and these experts they're experts for a reason. But it's also part of the slow moving cog wheel now, right? Because you have to bring them in. That takes time. There's an RFP just to get the, the consultant in. And that right. can take six to 12 months. And then you have That's to go right. through their whole, pro yeah, I mean, I mean, it's good, but it's bad. There's two sides to that. One. They have to budget a million dollars every time they talk to them because these guys ain't cheap. Yep. And, you know, you're buying insurance policies against making a bad decision or at least a defensible decision. We joked about this in a podcast once how, you know, when it comes down to it, these RFPs go out for CRMs, Salesforce makes it, and all these other CRMs that are probably more suited, I would say, arguably. And guess what they choose? They choose Salesforce because no one ever has to apologize for choosing Salesforce. Right. Right. But until might, they do. But, but until uh, they do. <laughs> well, if that's the point. And if it doesn't execute, it's not their fault. Right. It's it was someone downline. Right. There was some reason that they didn't yeah. execute it because we made a good decision. But I you can't actually ignore how important these guys are because Huge. unfortunately, many of them also have an incentive to actually promote certain products. So mm -hmm. so be aware of the fact, and you should know. I'm this is something I became aware of. Large consulting companies cut side deals with the vendors that they vet to actually promote them. And I'm saying that literally publicly. I have learned about that inside. We have been offered a same. If you want to know, like good old boy network, why things happen, it's because the money talks and basically incumbents are really driving the game because they, they have that much more influence. And and I I know that sounds messed up, but it is so true. It's the way it works, man. I mean, and money I kinda, is the thing that, that skids it all, right? System. It's a pay to play system. So yep. if you can get the consulting organizations behind it, that's a big thing. The other three things are pretty obvious. Obviously, when there's new leadership comes in, that that's a change and they tend to just overhaul everybody, whether it's good yeah. or bad, they, they tend to do this. Those are great change moments. And they're, they also were almost enabled or expected to make major changes because why are they being brought in if not to make changes? 
the fourth one is the field force is really demanding it. So you've got a bunch of advisors and that was our tact. Mm-hmm. We just get the field force to bang on the drum, say, we want more pudding. How can you have any meat? You haven't had your pudding. We're like, we want our pudding. And uh, and that's, of course, that, that requires community and grassroots. And then the last one is to find an influential group that's demanding it, like management or compliance. They're the ones that are championing this cause. So anyway, those are the, everybody should pay attention to those five. There's probably more. Do you have any thoughts on I that? I would one? add one, maybe lump it into your last one, the influential is what happens if the SEC, FINRA comes mm-hmm. up with new policy that, or regulation that has to be met. Totally. I've seen that drive innovation because, but again, it's knee jerk. Again, because our industry and profession is so slow, yeah. you can kind of see where the puck's headed most of the time. So it's a shame that it's a bit more knee jerk than it needs to be. It should be more um, proactive instead of reactive. I think you're spot on and the field force demanding it. That's near and dear to my heart. That's how I had tried to do my stuff with connector as well. That's where it started. Cause I was part of the field force. Well, that's uh, a that, good segue to tell us about that because I, I don't know that many people know the story that you had of really making change. Cause we obviously know you had some challenges and you had some successes even outside your work. Where, where did that kind of play out? Yeah. Connector is the byproduct of just me becoming a digital virtual advisor. Mm-hmm. Right. And just like you and, and, uh, all of a sudden I noticed how much success I was having, but more importantly, other advisors did and started asking more and more about it. And I'm like, huh, maybe there's something here. I should go sell that to New York life. I should go empower all of their advisors because this thing's really cool. And I've got a group of advisors in my office that are already doing this stuff. I'm teaching. Like I have a picture of our first little pilot group together. It was like eight of us or something. It's just a small little thing. And uh, I was so naive so unknowing about what I was about to get into. Oh my gosh. You mean it made perfect sense. Why, how did they not oh, actually just eat this up? It made total perfect sense. And even Mark Pfaff alluded to it. Mark Pfaff was a big supporter and very helpful as far as just a friend and some guidance there. But going into the world of slow innovation, maybe we can call it in the mm-hmm. enterprise world was a major eye-opener with Connector and was very, very hard. We're talking months, if not years, to get to the right people, to pitch mm-hmm. it, to get them to understand it, to go all through the things that we already talked about, to overcome the fear and the bureaucracy and how this is better than what you're currently doing and how, hey, the field force is asking for this thing. It was faster. I got a deal with a company in South Africa yeah, for Connector and another institution in Canada much faster than I did here in the States. Go figure. That's interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. I that that really resonates too, because even in my own story with Asset Map, I remember in 2008, I played golf. I was at one of the top producer events, top advisor, and I had tripled my business three years in a row. Everyone's like, what is this young kid doing at the top producer event? I got to golf with the head of the company and awesome. I told him on the 18th green, I have figured it out. I know how to change this entire organization and revolutionize it. He's like, that's, that's great. Set up a meeting with my assistant. We'll talk about it. It was a gratitude meeting. Like, Hey, good to see. You. Okay. Listen, I got to go to the next meeting. Now, it took me another six years to get oh. them, to get them to execute it. It took six years. And I realized now this was actually, don't get me wrong. At the time I was quite frustrated. Okay. Cause like, you were probably everybody. ready. Like, Hey, I'm ready to go. I got the solution. I'm the proof it works. I got the meeting. Okay. Where are we signed? Let's go. Just like you said, right. It made perfect sense. This is yeah. going to change. You saw the vision. It's going to change yeah. the planet. Right. So it, but the challenge is it's going to happen all of a sudden after a sh- 
long period of time. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, almost I know what it. you were going to say. <laughs> I almost said it because that's what it felt like. It felt like we were dragging the ocean liner and we're like, as like a tugboat. It's like, it doesn't totally. want to go, but we're like, don't you see the iceberg in front of you? Did anybody not see it? Like, why are they still going straight? I'm trying to pull you. But the reality is you, we have to recognize we don't have the credibility. And I have now learned as a CEO of a company that's now grown beyond me that mm -hmm. you don't have the ability, and nor does it make sense, by the way, to always get distracted by everyone who comes to you and says, I have the next solution. You have to filter. You get to this place where your time and your priority is so now focused because you're making million dollar decisions or whatever scale decisions yeah. you're making. Just like you as advisor, eventually get to a place where I actually can't meet with every one of my clients. I need to bring in a, a junior. great analogy, right? I, you're, right. You're, I need yeah, to, someone else perfect. needs to do the applications. I, it doesn't make sense for me to do that. Right. Once you get to that point, you're like, I actually don't know what the process for applications is anymore. I don't know how to open a brokerage account. And like, I don't care. <laughs> and I shouldn't. Right. But, you the, know? but, but that could be a huge problem in my operation that my, my junior is like pulling their hair out. Because they want to innovate that, but I'm not listening to them because you know what? I don't really care about that. And you're, I'll just hire another person before I take my time to go solve that problem. So now zoom that up to 10,000 employees. And you're like, that's nice. That's cute. I appreciate that. Listen, what's your name again? Okay, now go to the next person. And, <laughs> and you know, so I, I got this actually, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I always think that like all CEOs were jerks because they didn't give me the time of day when I was a nobody. They must be all jerks. You have to become a jerk once you're a CEO. Like <laughs> you're not kind. You're never available. You just no return calls. It's, and I realize now what it is. You just have different priorities. Oh, totally. And your priority is to stay focused when everyone wants to distract you. And that's why I think innovation is so slow in our business is because there's so much that has to get done. The roadmaps are two years already baked. Oh, we they totally why are. we're doing it. I'm yep. sorry the industry changed during that two years. We're building that. We're going to build the next legacy system you're going to complain about. But we decided three years ago that we're going to do this. We're almost done. <laughs> the industry's changed, but they're like, I got to deliver this. Too product. late, right? And, and the it's been budgeted. It's budgeted. So it's, you're they, done. And that's where the money's going. If you want to get on 2025's budget, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Maybe. Right. You're done. <laughs> really? And look, how many times have you brought innovation ideas to larger companies? And they're like, okay, we're going to build that. We're going to use our well, internal team. We're going to build it. Sure you are. Yeah. And they mean well. They truly do because they tend to have good teams and smart people and a pretty good budget. But That are already allocated, by the way. But they're already allocated with, with Coupler right now. Some of the conversations we're having is they're asking us to do some things that might take us a day. But yeah. it'll take us a month or two to get on the calendar of someone on their team to just spend an hour on it. Totally. Right. Cause they're totally. all, they've already, they're already stretched way too thin. Oh, and 10 people need to be on the call because it touches 10 people's units. Three people are on vacation. So now you got to do a separate meeting with those three Yep, and they don't understand what's going on. So you don't, I'm, I mean, this is like my day. You're like explaining my day. <laughs> and if you're a FinTech person or an advisor with a FinTech idea, that's looking to work with partners, just here's some insight for you that it will not go as fast as you want it to. Oh yeah. But and maybe this is a good segue into the innovation aspects that some mm. companies have is that some companies do have either like an innovation lab or, yeah. or division, or even just some, what I call entrepreneurial people who have been empowered that 
have more of a carte blanche pathway that they can just go. They can get stuff done and they can drive it. The challenge is then how do you find those people? Because as you said, they are also very busy. Yeah. And if if they've got a hit list of 10 things they got to get done in the next two years, how are you going to get your thing to the top of that top 10 list? If you're running a major company right now and you think innovation, I'm saying a large company, not, not us small guys, SMBs, individual private. If you're a really large company and you're not prioritizing an innovation team by putting someone a senior level SVP, C-level person in charge of innovation, you're missing the boat. The challenges that we've seen from some of the larger companies is they create that role, but that person is still stuck in the ivory tower with the other leaders. They're not empowered to actually make decisions and move. And guess where the entrepreneurs are? They're not in the ivory tower. They're on the field, right? They're the, they're the corporal who knows, hey, boss, we don't have the right kind of ammunition, right? <laughs> and, and that's not getting up to this, the tower, okay? They're saying, look, make do, we sent you ammunition. You got your allotment, yeah. eat the MREs and just take what you got now. <laughs> do your best, right? You're like, my business is on the line, literally. And I think that's the key. We have seen a couple of different teams that or companies that have created innovation outlets within their organization they do competitions like hey submit your most yes. aggravating innovation or problem thing that's broken to a team if we choose yours we're going to throw you five grand we'll actually implement it we'll choose the top three we'll do a community like are these legitimate yep. i saw this happen once it was really cool and they actually did something even if it was just automating a form that all these advisors complained about Right. They probably spent a hundred grand to figure out that it was the form, but that hundred grand, basically they're going to get it back tenfold. Probably in like a matter of days, in hours. When, you're, when you're looking at like thousands of people doing this thing and time saved and the business that can be written now and whatever. And so I, I have to tell you, Derek, when I heard this, I'll be honest with you. I told my firm, cause we had a, a firm of, of 25 people. I said, we're going to create the same incentive. We offered, I forgot to tell you this, we, we offered all of our employees, we said, you probably know something that could be better at this firm, but we're not paying attention. We're going to collect them all. The number one one is going to get fixed. We're going to put a budget behind it of $10,000 to fix that problem. And we're going to give you that project to run it. And if you can do it for less than $10,000, you get to keep the difference. So we created a project management thing for our, even our youngest guys that are just dealing with moving trades around or opening accounts. Sure. If they came up with it and they could solve a major problem, we all agreed was a problem for $10,000 and they could fix it efficiently, they won and we won. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. You're motivating while also finding out what are the real pain points. And these large companies can do the same thing. I know a number of them have venture capital arms that are sometimes involved or actual innovation labs, startup labs. Totally. But I think, you know, if you are a fintech or an advisor with a fintech idea, you still are in sales and you better have a really great idea that isn't Mm half-baked and you need to sell it because these folks are busy and they're getting pitched a whole bunch of times. And if you really want this thing solved, yeah. Don't go in half cocked. You really yeah. need to get it in there. And, and sometimes we may think it's good enough, but the folks in the ivory tower, or these labs, they have a different perspective. They have amazing deal flow. They get to be picky. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And they have capital and usually brand that's attracting exactly. ideas all the time. Forget all yep. the ones that their own teammates are finding because they have search parties out there looking for different innovations. Most of the large companies actually have an innovation team that's actually looking for tech that they can adopt. They just I've may been not contacted. be hitting. Yeah, I, me too. But, yeah. but that didn't happen in the beginning because nobody knew about us. Exactly. So nobody knew to contact us, which is one of the bigger challenges you and I both have always when you're doing any startup is, does anybody know you exist? That's the same thing that's true for a financial advisor. You might be the best financial advisor. You might be better than all of us. Process, unbelievable. Nobody knows about you. Doesn't matter. That's great. The challenge is, is awareness and brand building for every single idea that's out there. Otherwise, it just and unfortunately dies on the vine, un unappreciated. But that's the same thing with technology. So I think the kind of closeout story for anyone who's in fintech you got to get to a place where if you got a great idea, proof is in the pudding. You got to show them with true KPI metrics. That means them being enterprise buyers. Why specifically you will help them get what they want. What's in it for me as an enterprise buyer? How are you going to help my bottom line and my big agenda? I'm getting a bonus on. And if you can help me do that, then I'm interested, but I'm going to make you prove it with a POC or a proof of concept or a pilot. Right? Exactly. And so you got to be prepared to handle that and all the expectations that a procurement system of a large enterprise, cybersecurity, redundancy, all those wonderful things that just your buyer has just got a much bigger appetite uh, and higher expectation. They certainly do. And realize all of these things that you want to be able to pitch in the process you have to go through with the enterprise will take mm -hmm. time because of their old legacy systems, because of the different layers of management and who gets to say yes unless you get lucky and you do find that innovation person or lab or director mm -hmm. that can make a, a faster decision, but even the fast ones take months. That's true. So if you're, That's whether true. you're in a, a group of advisors wondering why tech is taking forever to get adopted, or if you're a FinTech looking to do it, these things do take a ton of time. Mm -hmm. So you got to find that happy medium. I think you said it right. If you can empower them to say, Hey, this is how it solves your problem faster cheaper. Here's how you get your bonus faster, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They're going to be much more interested to push it and get the key decision makers in play. And there's one partner that we're working with for Coupler. We found an amazing internal champion. And mm. once we got them on board, they are the ones fighting all day, every day to get all the other people aligned to make it happen. And they've even said, okay. literally said to us, there's a lot of internal politics we got to deal with. There's no question. I mean, right now, if you're an advisor working in a larger infrastructure or, or even a smaller one, you want to make change. You got to know who cares about what, why they need to make this change. It can't just be because it affects you or it's annoying to you. It has to break through their top 10 priorities for it yeah. to get any attention because we all know we're living in a world of attention deficit. You can't focus on fixing everything. You can only focus on fixing maybe five things and then the next five are back up for when I have time, which I never have it. So yeah. you got to align your challenge with the most important priorities of the people making decisions, especially around capital. And there are several incubators that we found out there that are interesting for looking at if you're a fintech or if you're looking for innovation, especially around financial service, you want to see what's coming next. You can go ahead and check. We made a list actually. Uh, we participated in some of these. 630 does a fintech incubator associated with Pershing and Edward Jones and a whole bunch of other companies. We actually participated in that. You can kind of see what companies are coming down the pike and what solutions they're solving. Fidelity Mass Mutual have a have a mass challenge, also with Columbia Threadneedle. FIS has an accelerator. Barclays, Wells Fargo have accelerators now. 
in the RAA space, Colony Group and Mariner have Scratchworks. I don't know if you saw that. It's like a that's cool. Like I'm not a, familiar with that one. That, that's pretty They slick. do a Shark Tank kind of competition. Yeah, man. And they make yeah. it public and they put it up on YouTube and you can kind of see how people are pitching. It's kind of the fintech Shark Tank. I pretty cool. I just saw Michael Nathanson recently and we were talking about this, but in the insurance side, it's been woefully lacking. I talked to Kelly Kidwell at the chair of Gamma a bunch of years ago. He said, we we're going to create something. He had a great idea. I just don't know whether the insurance companies ever bought in building literally a safe sandbox where ideas like yours and mine would have been bubbled up and tested in a safe environment oh. with these companies to prove that they were really good ideas or there was some innovation that could make a difference. But because there was no outlet when you and I did this thing, we were just stuck figuring it out. Well, boy, there did we wasn't. waste a lot of money and time. And thank goodness we stuck with it, right? Because now we've both touched that's grinding, thousands, man. millions of people, which is crazy. So I know, right? You got to make through. It's not no. Like just what we were talked about or taught when we started working as advisors, every no is a step closer to a yes. So mm -hmm. it's that that's what it is. And you just got to keep pushing. There is on that list. We'll add this one last one that we can jump to the, our wrap stuff up here. But uh, Generator, I don't know if you know the mm, Generator know program. So they started in Madison uh, when I was living there, of all things. And they started as a general startup incubator, give you some money, help mm -hmm. you grow. And now they have one specifically for InsurTech. Allianz is one of their partners, Security mm -hmm. Benefits, a partner, but it's super competitive. I, they were just telling me they had a thousand applicants, I think. Don't wow. quote me on that, but it was a lot. They only picked five. Wow. Right. So super competitive again to get in there, but so it is happening, but probably not as fast as we would like it to happen. Yeah. There's no question about that. Um, I, look, I think the, at the end of the day, it's not all bad, right? We, we hopefully have given some context as to why it takes a long time for our industry to change. Not only ours, there's other industries in this planet that, that are slow to innovate. The bottom line is not all bad. There's a lot of innovation happening in our world. You know, we have seen some real great success stories, at least on the fintech side for advisory. Nitrogen Riskalyze is has been a great story. And we think Holista Plan has been a great story from the adoption standpoint. Both of those companies had very clear solutions that they were and problems they were trying to solve. And I think that you saw viral adoption at the advisor level that really led to enterprise Definitely. adoption. And I think those two have been very interesting. Obviously, Asset Map has had some. Uh, accolade there with its kind of viral adoption. Uh, and so I think there's some really interesting tools out there that are really putting pressure, not the least of which was Bill Harris's personal capital, who actually may very well be on this podcast coming up soon. And Betterment, who have really kind of pushed, I think, the standards. Companies like Altruist and what Jason Wank has built, mm -hmm. as you know very well, these are new age innovation custodians that I think are just changing the game. What's also cool is that as the older guard, or maybe you want to call them the skeptics or the traditionalists, as they mm -hmm. start to retire, there's going to be a new breed of people filling those spots that are probably going to be a little bit more forward thinking or open to change at a little bit, maybe faster pace. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's cool because there's also this network effect we have now. FinTech is getting more and more popular. There's more marketing around it. It's actually a really small circle of people that are talking yeah. to each other. Yep. And if the folks that, you know, New York Life or Mass or Fidelity or whoever, they all know who each other are and they're talking to each other. Hey, well, what are they doing over there? Oh, well, we should go look at that now. So it is happening faster and faster. And we've just got some really cool companies that have already done it. So we know it's possible. Just 
a little bit faster, please. That's so true. <laughs> Just a little, a little bit, bit faster. A little bit faster. So <laughs> there you go. Happens all of a sudden after a long period of time. Well, I wanted to end with uh, with this question that came in. Which I thought this was kind of funny. It was very colloquial in the sense that Liz in Oregon reached out on our community question, Derek. And she wrote in, Adam and Derek, how do you decide what topics to podcast about? Aren't you worried about running out of topics? Everyone is saying the same things right now, marketing, communications, the human delivery, AI. How will you keep it relevant? I'm just curious. Keep them coming. Thanks, Liz in Oregon. So what's your feedback on this? I, I love the question. I think there's a couple of different One is that we are having more and more people come to us wanting to be on the podcast because they mm -hmm. have a unique perspective on something they're doing, solving, whatever. Yeah. And then we get to debate it, which is a ton of fun. So we're looking for change makers and people that are forward thinking, and that's always going to be there. Opinions there'll be plenty of. But yeah, well, at least like that. Yeah, for sure. But I think what also is cool is, and, and you were instrumental in setting this up, is that we had a really cool experience at the WealthStack conference in Miami just in May of this year. You want to talk about what we were able to do in one hour? Yeah, well, we asked nine thought leaders What's the thing that advisors don't see coming? And nine people gave nine separate opinions. In fact, actually, I think one person gave two separate opinions. <laughs> so in a sense, here you have people that are influencing thousands, if not tens of thousands of financial advisors in the community, and they're all saying a different thing. That is really yep. cool. And I think it aligns well with what we're doing, Derek, to rethink the profession. That means we need to be open to lots of different perspectives so we can decide, yes, I want to rethink that or I'm throwing that idea out. That's, exactly. that's not a good one. So the real key is intentionality about what we're doing as you've all figured that out in this mentorship podcast. We hope that we're challenging you to think or rethink what you're doing and come up with a better, more effective outcome that hopefully serves your goal. So with that, Derek, I think we got to wrap us up. Any closing thoughts? Well, I would say just to tap it off with innovation, as long as we have innovation, we have content for this podcast. If innovation dies, then we're going to have to start doing dad jokes. And complaining, just complaining. complaining. <laughs> you know, that's about, that's about all. Someone might want to hear that, right? We could be like <laughs> Vanderpump finances, <laughs> just complain about everybody. <laughs> that's what they do. I, well, think. I think we're good. So good all questions right. from Liz and thanks from Bob previously about just innovation and the frustrations there. Hopefully you've had some insight and, and, um, at least understand how it all works a little bit better. It's not easy, but if it were easy, everyone would do it. So there you go. Great set. All right. With that in mind, you know what to do. Follow us on LinkedIn. Make sure you direct message us. Let us know what's on your mind. And of course, stay in the community. Of course, like this, share this with a friend. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Derek from Philadelphia, I say goodbye. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Good seeing you. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Rethink the Financial Advisor Podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.